Welcome to Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. In the last episode, I mentioned that the story of the wise men, or magi, coming from the east to find the king of the Jews and bring him gifts, may sound like the stuff of Christmas carols and traditional manger scenes, but it was actually a very subversive and dangerous story in its original context. In this episode, we look at that story in Matthew. We will ask, just who are these magi, and why do they bring gifts to Jesus? My name is Bert Newton, and this is Episode 4 of Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Let's begin by reading the text from the New Revised Standard Version. This is Matthew 2, 1-12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, They were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, I introduced this segment by saying that we would ask, Who are these magi, or wise men, as the NRSV translates the word, and why do they bring gifts to Jesus? Notice that I did not say that we would ask, who were these wise men, and why did they bring gifts to Jesus? The first question, stated in the present tense, is a literary one. The second question, stated in the past tense, is an historical one. In this series, I am not trying to answer historical questions about Jesus. Rather, I am unpacking the Gospel of Matthew as a story, a story told by a writer who shaped this story in a particular way for particular reasons. And I note historical context that is crucial to understanding the story 
in its original setting. But I'm not asking specific historical questions. The reason I am making this distinction at this time is because I want us to think in terms of meaning and message, not in terms of pursuing unanswerable questions about historical details. You see, Matthew gives us sparse detail from a modern point of view, but he supplies enough detail for the original first century audience to get the message. The Magi are from the East. That much detail is sufficient to deliver a powerfully subversive message to those who understand the full connotation of these terms. Let's start with where they are from, the East. This designation signifies a couple of things. First of all, they are Gentiles. Jesus will lead a movement that transcends Israelite nationalism. His movement will be a transnational movement that includes Gentiles. And here we get a foretaste of this transnationalism. But they are not merely Gentiles. The combination of the terms Magi and from the East also signifies that they are from outside the Roman Empire. Magi, the word that the Greek text uses for these wise men, signifies wisdom figures from the royal courts of the Eastern kingdoms, beyond the bounds of the Roman Empire. Magi were originally Persian wisdom figures, but by the first century, the term was in use throughout the kingdoms east of the Roman Empire. Israel lay at the eastern end of the Roman Empire. So it's not hard to imagine these men from the east, beyond the Roman imperial boundaries, coming to Jerusalem and Bethlehem. As we have already seen in episode 2 of this series, Jesus will pose a threat to Rome. So here we have a literary signal that Jesus' mission will transcend not only Israel, but also the Roman Empire and will be a threat to that regime. The threat to Rome comes into sharper focus when we consider how the Magi have arrived in Israel, why the Magi have come, and what they do in Bethlehem. The Magi come asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? You can imagine what King Herod must be thinking when people come asking a question like that. He is king of Israel, and his official title is king of the Jews. You see, Herod was crowned king of the Jews in Rome by a Roman senate. He then came back to Israel with Roman troops and conquered Israel for Rome. So we have wisdom figures from beyond the boundaries of the Roman Empire coming and looking for a child born with the same title as that of Rome's client king in Jerusalem, when that king has not recently given birth to a son. Furthermore, they are following a star. Now, following a star sounds strange to our modern ears, but it was a familiar symbol for ancient people. Bright stars or comets signaled in ancient literature the birth of great kings 
or even the rise of new kingdoms. The poet Virgil, commissioned by none other than Augustus Caesar to write the epic poem The Aeneid, tells us that Aeneas is guided by a star to the place where Rome is to be founded. A star also appears at the birth of Alexander the Great, the first Greek emperor to invade and conquer Israel. A star appears at the birth of Mithridates, the king who made the Parthian Empire, possibly the origin of the Magi in our story, the Parthian Empire, into a major power. And a star appears as well at the birth of the Roman emperor Alexander Severus. In the case of Alexander the Great, Cicero, a Roman writer and statesman in the first century BCE, declares that Magi proclaim the birth of Alexander based on a brilliant constellation. A very strong parallel to our story. The Roman historian Tacitus, who wrote around the same time as Matthew, states, A comet, in popular opinion, always portends revolution to kingdoms. Ancient Israelite literature uses stars in a similar way, representing kings or national liberators. Isaiah 14.12 refers to the king or emperor of Babylon as the morning star. And Numbers 24.17 speaks of a liberator for Israel, proclaiming, A star shall come out of Jacob. So when Matthew tells us that the Magi are following a star, we are not meant to think that they are mere bumbling astrologers on a curious quest for a spiritual messiah. We are meant to understand that they are envoys from an eastern kingdom sent to the capital of Israel because they think a new king has been born there. They assume that the newborn child is a child of the reigning king, but then they find out that that king has not recently had a son. A star, comet, or other heavenly sign can signal merely the birth of a new king, but as evidenced by the literature that I have just cited, it can also signal a turnover in regimes. Even the rise of a new kingdom. In Israelite tradition, it would be a liberator or a messiah. So, you can now see why Herod is afraid. He's well aware of the Jewish hopes of a liberator, a messiah. When he asks his own wise men, the scribes, where the liberator of Israel, the Messiah, is to be born, they ironically cite a combination of texts from Micah and 2 Samuel that point to Bethlehem. I say ironically because the scribes will be Jesus' opponents. They are the wise men of the ruling class of Israel. But even they, in this scene, can't seem to help themselves from interpreting the prophetic texts as pointing to Jesus. It's as if the spirit of wisdom compels the wise men of both the eastern kingdoms and the Roman puppet government in Jerusalem to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, the Liberator.
this is a point that's worth dwelling on for a few minutes. You see, the scribes were the keepers and teachers of wisdom in Israel. An earlier scribe living in the 2nd century BCE, who ironically went by the name Jesus ben Sirah, described his own profession this way, The scribe seeks out the wisdom of the ancients and is concerned with prophecies. He preserves the sayings of the famous and penetrates the subtleties of parables. He seeks out hidden meanings of proverbs. The scribes, you see, were Israel's wise men. So this story of wise men coming from the east and scaring the king who then consults with his wise men whose counsel sends the eastern wise men to the crib of a peasant baby, is so full of irony that it might have been a little comical to its original audience. Peasants, in contrast to scribes, were of a much lower social class and were unschooled in the ways of wisdom. So wise men bearing gifts to a peasant baby makes for quite an ironic, even humorous scene. As we proceed in the gospel, we will find that Jesus, a peasant who, as I argued in the third episode of this series, likely lacked scribal literacy, this illiterate peasant, Jesus, defeats the wise scribes in public debates. In fact, the peasant Jesus will be portrayed as a wisdom teacher, and even as the embodiment of wisdom itself, sometimes speaking the very words of Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom is the personification of wisdom in Israel's wisdom literature. We'll say more about that in a a later podcast. But here we have wise men compelled to acknowledge Jesus as the newborn king, the Messiah. The Eastern wise men even bring gifts and kneel before him. Now, what is it with these gifts? Aside from the ironic contrast of elites bowing down to a peasant baby, there is even greater significance regarding the gifts. This picture of foreign elites coming and bowing before an Israelite king is an image straight out of the prophets. When the prophets speak of the liberation and redemption of Israel, one common image they employ is of foreign dignitaries coming, bearing gifts, and bowing down to Israel's king. Isaiah 60 verse 6 even says that they will bring gold and frankincense. It reads, The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. Psalm 72 reads, May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Both of these texts mention Sheba. Now, Sheba might ring a bell for some of you. There is the famous story in 1 Kings of the queen of Sheba coming to King Solomon, bringing camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, and precious stones. This foreign dignitary brings gifts to King Solomon, who in Israelite literature is remembered as the wisest of all kings. Multiple wisdom books, biblical and otherwise, are attributed to him. And the story of the visit of the Queen of Sheba 
involves her being impressed by his wisdom. So it is significant that throughout Matthew, we are repeatedly told that the wisdom, wealth, and royalty of Solomon does not hold a candle to the different kind of wisdom, wealth, and royalty that Jesus brings. In chapter 12, Matthew will have Jesus refer to this story of the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon and declare that something greater than Solomon is here. The story of the visit of the Magi, wise men from the royal courts of an eastern kingdom such as Sheba, functions to highlight that this peasant baby Jesus will be the true, wise king and liberator of Israel. I should also mention, as many commentators on this passage do, that another background for this story in Matthew may have been the recent visit by Magi to the Roman emperor Nero. In the year 66, the Armenian king Tiridates, who at least one Roman writer referred to as a Magus, came with other Magi to pay homage to Nero and then return by another route. So the story of the wise men coming to Jesus bearing gifts gives us a vivid image of envoys from an eastern kingdom bowing before a peasant child born king and presenting him with gifts appropriate to such a situation. They come following a star which signals to the original Jewish reader the star that shall come out of Jacob in Numbers 24-7 and for the Greco-Roman reader a portent of revolution. So Herod is afraid and acts like tyrants do when they are scared. His violent reaction and the response of Jesus' family will be the topic of our next podcast. My name is Bert Newton, and this has been Episode 4 of Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Music